0: Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. And with me today is my good friend and resurrected soul,
1: <laughs> Chad Mitz.
0: Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. So Chad, we have all now ventured into both the Quantum Realm and the realm of the Mandalorian the Season 3. So your thoughts, sir, on Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania tickets going on sale today, and the trailer that we got last Monday in what was considered to be a football game, but really was more like a spring scrimmage.
1: (laughs) Um, I was just wondering why they didn't do the tickets last week, because that's been the trend. You know, you drop the last trailer, the tickets go on sale. It's about a month out. That's just what they've done. This move of dropping the trailer and then a week later dropping tickets, that that was a little weird to me. Um, But other than that, I mean, the timeline kind of, this is the normal Marvel timeline. Normally, trailer tickets, same time, comes out a month ahead of time, yada, yada, yada. So that's all good. I, what's, what's more important to me is, um, is, do people seem excited for this? And I honestly don't know the answer, uh, thanks to various things with social media and Twitter being what it is now and all this other stuff. I, I don't know if people are excited for this or not.
0: Um, the blue people are having an impact. Because the blue people are just continuing to run, as we all knew that they would. Um, all- no, 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 no.
1: Okay, to, to be fair, I didn't know that they would. I did not think they would do it, and God damn it. Um, here they are, and they've done it. But but to, to that point, too, and we can talk about this later, like I don't understand, I don't know who was excited for Ant-Man. I don't know who's actually seen this movie. Like, I know I've seen it. I know you've seen it. I know one other person that has seen it, and they just saw it like two days ago. I don't, there is nobody else that I actually physically know that has seen this movie. I'm sure there are a few, but none of them are talking about it.
0: And do you know why that is, Chad? Because 85% of their money is coming from overseas.
1: Yes, that is a big part. But this thing is still made uh, domestically. What is, I think is the second highest grosses of the year domestically following Top Gun. Top Gun had like 700. Plus, I know it beat um, um, Black Panther, which had more than Doctor Strange. I don't know how much Jurassic World did domestically, but it's, it's got to be sitting at number two and number three uh, domestically. So while not as much, while, you know, 1.8 billion of it or no, 1.3 billion of it came from overseas, there's still like 500 million that came from over here. And that should be enough where I know a few other people that are talking about it. And I just don't.
0: I mean, it's just an unusual thing that it's just it sits out there. You know, it's 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 there. We've seen it. We've seen packed auditoriums, but it's kind of like, how are you running up thirty five million dollar Mondays without it being a holiday?
1: It's I can't explain it. I really can't. Uh, Other. Well, my best explanation for that is it's the same similar phenomenon as. Um, Top Gun, where people want to see this in the theater, and they keep going. I just didn't think they would keep going back to see it. I didn't think it would get the repeat viewing that it obviously has to have to do uh, this. But
0: it is sitting at uh five hundred and seventy-two million domestic. Okay. It's one hundred and forty-six million behind Top Gun Maverick
1: after five weeks. Okay,
0: we still what another three weeks to go until Ant Man and the Walls Quantumania? Uh.
1: I mean, if we're going by, yeah, it's about. Yeah, it's
0: it's
1: exactly a month because it comes out on the 17th. Right. And we're the 16th now. So, yeah, it's a whole nother month. I mean, I would I in normal conventions, I would think, okay, it's not going to catch Top Gun, but it's a whole nother month. And it keeps doing these numbers. You know, it might. It'll be close. I think it'll be close if it does.
0: I genuinely cannot believe that the man is literally had to make one point five billion dollars to be
1: profitable.
0: And he has cleared that by a country mile.
1: Right, right. I, everything, like all of the information we got before this movie came out, told me that this could not do this. None of this could happen. This is not supposed to happen. And here we are, and the crap has happened. And I gotta, I've gotta sit here and eat the crow, even I, even though I stand by that. I mean, this movie is pretty to look at and and more entertaining than the first. But that's about it. That's all. That's that is the bar. That, that, that's their bar. But that apparently is enough for people to just keep like, yeah, I want to spend three, over three and the, the runtime over three hours. Like the first one is long as hell. And it's only like two and a half hours. This one is like almost, what, 45 minutes longer. And people are still going. I, I, I just did not think it, it was possible.
0: And and now you get two years between sequels instead of 12 years.
1: I mean, so that's the next thing. And I I can't say anything negative about it because, again, the third sequel should not work. It should not make this kind of money, but, you know, we're here with this one. But the whole timetable makes it more feasible that this should be successful. But my question is, okay, people have... The first one was a a technological marvel. The second one came out 12 years later and was able to keep up with that and entice people to come back. It's two years too short a time for people to be like... Well, I just saw I just saw all this fancy stuff last time. Do I need to see it again? Uh, I'm not going to say no because I don't want to be the fool this time again. But it is a question. We're going to answer to it in two years. But you know that's where we are. Who
0: um who told him it would be okay to call his fire uh, related people the ash people next time? Like like who exactly told him in the marketing department that that was okay thing?
1: Well considering um i mean of of all the things that like that didn't even register to me um uh, but considering i mean this this movie is largely about uh you know it's colonization with native people and this is very much a white man's version of what native people are so the ash people don't it doesn't even sound that bad to me when i when i consider all those things.
0: And they're going to be people who live next to volcanoes. So like I get what he's going for, but still then like, and it will be interesting because I think essentially where you're going with this is we saw that old boy clone got saved by his, by his bastard son. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, he got saved and he's, he's still around and he's still going to continue to hunt the Sully family. That's, that's what we know. But like, it seems to me the natural place to go is old boy's gotten his ass kicked twice. Not once, but twice. And so I think he figured it out that you know humans can't really mess with these folks. I need to go find me some natives who are restless and aggressive. And so enter the uh, Ash people. Hired hired guns for the white man.
1: So some someone brought this up. So these these new Navi the Ash people that are going to be more aggressive and slash evil than other ones. They're going to be red, white, right? Like you would think. Like when I heard that, I just thought they would be red. But then you think about the rest of the Navi, and they're just variations of blue. W- w- what's your bet? Is it uh, red? Or are we getting like purple to to blend blue and red?
0: I think we're getting white. I think we're getting ash white, <laughs> ash white Navi who are literally having not,
1: ash fall on them. That that did not even cross my mind, and it seems like something he would do, and it seems completely ridiculous. But hey, you know he's done everything else, so why not? Who's gonna tell this man no now? Uh, at this point. Nobody, not a soul, will tell this man no. Indeed.
0: Um, so, Chad, a great and glorious day is coming. It's coming in a couple of weeks with the Super Bowl, or the, the a few days before the Super Bowl. Actually, it is a high and holy day on your calendar, sir. It is the day that a new Fast and the Furious trailer drops. <laughs> the I trailer to... for Fast Ten will release the Friday before the
1: Super Bowl. Why the Friday? Be- why the Friday before? That, I mean, I get not wanting to do a commercial for the Super Bowl because those are incredibly expensive.
0: And it's on um, Fox this year. It's not on NBC like it was last time where you would get the discount because you're it's your own Your own, your own company. property,
1: yeah. yeah. But, I mean, releasing it on a Friday kind of tells me that they're going to do at least like a 30-second spot that says the trailer's online now. So why not just do it on Sunday to get the like the most buzz at one time? But if they're not gonna do that, and I guess Friday is fine. Uh I would have thought they would have attached it with a movie or something, but there's nothing coming out Friday. So that that's my only thing with that. It's like it just seems like they're trying to drop it close enough to the Super Bowl without we, having the, next, the
0: next Thursday is Ant-Man the Wasp: Mania.
1: Okay, so okay, so that that's something. But still, it's just if you're gonna if you're not going to do it with the Super Bowl, then just drop it. The Monday or something. I I guess it just it just seems like they're saying we want to do the Super Bowl, but that's just too expensive, so we're doing it on a Friday because that might give us just enough awareness.
0: So, what is the uh, what is the gravity defining mind-blowing, crazy stunt set piece that they will be revealing in this trailer? Because we have really no idea. Because we you know asked a director who had to have a mental health breakdown. You know, because of Vin Diesel. So that we is... brought in the guy who did the Incredible Hulk, the 2008 Edward, N- Edward Norton Hulk movie.
1: I mean, I mean, for the longest time, the whole running joke was they've got to go to space. And in the last one, they technically went to space. in Low the
0: orbit, energy. sir.
1: Yeah. They threw a car to a space station. That counts. That counts enough. Like, that is just plausible enough, yet it's completely ridiculous to be in this world. So I I don't know what you do next. Uh, you you so you've done that uh, in the Hobbes movies. You've done uh, like actual superhuman people uh, more or less. Uh, I I can I cannot imagine what is so ridiculous you can do with a car that they're going to stick in this movie. But I guarantee they have figured it out, and that's what they're going to do. I have, but I just got nothing. Uh, uh, so this whole thing, none of this should work. This whole series. None of it should work, but here we are waiting to waiting to see part one of part part one of part ten of this incredibly ridiculous franchise. Yay to all of that. Here's here's my thing.
0: Dinosaurs. Let's just cross over Jurassic World in the fast franchise and let's just get this whole thing over with. Vin Diesel kills dinosaurs. It's fun. Can't you just see I like mean, a car going down the back of a T-Rex? It'll just be awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could. They are both universal. So I mean, why not? But the dinosaurs don't. The dinosaurs don't need it. Because uh, I, I tell you what. Well, I didn't fast doesn't that necessarily
0: move- need it either. I mean, you're go. What you're going for here ultimately is Cleo, and you're going for the whole end of that Cleo Dom story. Because that when you introduced her in Fast Eight, you or and um yeah, in Fast Eight you pretty much set up that that was their end game because they knew at that point when they were making eight, they were doing eight, nine, 10, which at the time was just one movie. And so they introduced Cleo and they introduced Charlie Theron's character character to be an end game, to be a Thanos type figure, um, for the family. And it's kind of working. Um, they kind of sidelined her a little bit too much until the end, uh, in nine for me, cause they, we're interested in playing around with uh, with John Cena as a heel, which worked for some, but didn't work for all. Um, I, I just, directors, changing directors in the middle of production, uh, then having worked with that dude for a decade and forcing him off, just, you know, if there's any dude who's going to stick around a fast movie, it's going to be that guy. And and for him to, to walk away and say, no, bro, this is, this is just too much, it really worries me. Like outside of what The Rock does and The Rock says and all this, it worries me when he's like doing like when he's for causing directors who've been working with him for a long time to say, I quit. Um the studio went very quick with a replacement. Um he's got a good action background, he's got a good resume. I don't think none of that really matters because Vin's really the one setting up these set pieces. Um, I don't know, man. It just it constantly makes me question what kind of a role Vin Diesel would have had in this franchise if Paul Walker had lived. And if Paul Walker was in point of fact, the mitigating force holding, holding Vin in check. And then once he was gone, there was no one left. I think the only other person I could think of who might've had that position would be, um, uh, Oh, uh, Rodriguez's favorite, uh, Michelle Rodriguez. um, she would have been the only one who would have had the ability or the power to stand up to him and say, Hey, no, but she used that clout to get more female characters, more work. And if you remember in X nine, there's the whole, you know, Jordan Brewster side plot there um, with her and Michelle Rodriguez. Um, there's also rumors of gay, of a gal showing up back up in this movie. Um, so there are a few different things, twists uh, that would um, be interesting to see, but, they're really, I, I really just want eight, nine, and ten, and whatever eleven ends up being. I want them to be a complete story because that's that's the thing. You get you do so much time hopping in five, six, and seven that you never really feel like a, like it's a story. Like you just it feels more episodic in nature. Like you're checking out on these people like every couple of years to see what I've, what new heist they're on and what new adventure they're going to go on, right? this feels like serialized storytelling in the more traditional sense where you have a solid through line with Cleo in her relationship to Dom and the family and the secrets that she has. Um, So, you know, I, I'm going to be interested to see what happens, but I think that the trailer is going to get everybody talking, which is,
1: which is what trailers are supposed to do. Yep. That, that is it. Uh, I, so listening, you say all that, I do have one call for the trailer. I think they will They'll pull a Han and with with Gal and stick her in the trailer. So be like, how does she? How is she coming back? Uh No matter how ridiculous it's going to be, I'm I'm dying to see that because you know that Han, was a
0: fiery. That was a fiery plane crash there, ma'am. I mean,
1: wait, didn't she like fly out the back of it?
0: Yes, like there was a harpoon like, involved in the whole thing. It was a very. Yeah, it like, was one of the more gruesome deaths in the history of the Fast franchise. It was. Right. It was. So, to me, it was right up there with the old babysitter who got, you know, eaten by the <laughs> by the pterodactyl and then eaten by the 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 crocodile dinosaur for no right. real reason other than doing what her boss
1: told her to do. Like Hans' comeback is ridiculous, but you know, yeah. in this ridiculous world, it's plausible because I mean, we saw. I mean, we. We saw I mean, it. shows have used that whole trick uh, a bunch.
0: A Law and Order SVU yeah. used it with the DAs, where it's like we're going to fake your death so you can go into witness
1: protection. Right, but this, this is this is a little bit different. I mean, again, the whole the whole adage is if you don't see a body, then they can always come back. But this scene, this is like the this is like right up going right up to the line of not seeing the body and saying, oh yeah, we'll take it back. Like if they take one step further, they're over the line and they have to show the body.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be going to be interesting for me to see. So let's talk a little bit more about what you got out of that Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer as we circle back to this, <laughs> yeah, <'Cause>, yeah. <laughs> because I have I definitely have thoughts on Phase 4 um, and I don't want to talk about those things because that's I tease that on Twitter. But that's it's been something that's been actively on my mind when I've been working on all this time. Um, but the things that I pulled out of the trailer were one, Modok, who is literally going to be a giant floating head. Can't be more happy than that. Um, Two, Jonathan Majors is going to start blowing people away. Not that he hasn't already, but I don't feel like a lot of people saw Loki season one, like the last episode of Loki season one. And I definitely don't think a lot of people saw Devotion. Um, I think more people will be familiar with him after Creed 3, but Creed 3 comes after Ant-Man and the Wasp. So I really think people are going to discover Jonathan Majors in this role, and I think it's going to lead to them digging through his back catalog and finding out more about him. And I think that's going to be a wonderful thing. Um, the third thing that i pulled out of the, tra- I would pull out of the trailer is uh, we're sticking with family adventures. It's just a different kind of, it, instead of being in San Francisco, it's in the quantum realm, which, you know, I'm okay with just Marvel, pay your VFX people properly and don't run them into the ground.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? Is, so I, I agree with almost everything you say, particularly. So the first thing I tweeted about the damn movie was uh, was MODOK. Uh We
0: did an entire podcast in which we talked at one point about the ridiculousness of, of uh, Ego the Living Planet. And we had no idea how they were going to do it. Now, we only got one shot. One shot in, in Guardians Volume 2 of actual Ego as a planet. But they still did Ego the Living Planet. They're getting ready to do Adam Warlock. Like... They, they're doing Pip the Troll. They're doing all these things that we never thought they'd be able to do.
1: But but some of those things, I mean, ego was one. It's like, how are they going to do this? Modok has been like, if he's not my top character, he's like been like number two of characters that I just like. There's no way. It's so damn ridiculous. I just can't see them doing it. And I I, I maintained that up until uh, the Avengers video game that came out uh, like two three years ago uh, in the the main bad guy in that is Modoc. And they show, he, they show him go from normal guy to Modoc. And the way that happened, I'm like, okay, if you do something like this, I can get with it. And that's not what they're doing. They're going straight up. Modoc exists from... in the quantum realm. Yeah. Well, not even that, not all, not just that he exists, but it seems like he exists because he is um, Yellow Jacket. Yellow Jacket has turned into Modoc, uh, big head and all. So I I'm really curious how that worked, uh, what their rationale is and how they like work it into the story. But you know, that big ass head is floating around there. And it's again wild for me to see. It there are once we got to Guardians, I should have known they can do whatever they want because they've made Guardians work. Not that they made Avengers. Making Avengers work was one thing. Making Guardians work says they can do whatever they want. And that's where we're at. And but even with that, there's still times I'm like, but the, can't they do that? And they're gonna like, yes, we're gonna do that too. So everything's on the table now. Modak is here. And he looks like he fits in, into this world. They're tying him to the quantum realm, which makes which makes sense. So I'm but I'm excited to see how that goes. But what's really got me with this trailer is uh the the story that it's telling that it seems like we're getting out of the movie. Um and to me it kind of ties into what we didn't get from black panther which was the thought of losing time with a kid uh because for those who don't know like Pan- the story that ryan Coogler was working on for black panther before uh chadwick boseman's death was going to involve panther coming back and finding out he had this kid and realizing he's lost his time with this kid and how does he go and make this relationship from there what Quantumania is suggesting is Scott has Scott has always lost time with his kid. When we first meet him, he's been in jail. He's lost all that time with Cassie. When he gets out, he can't immediately go see her because he's got to get himself together to be able to do it. That's how he ends up becoming Ant Man. And then you know, Infinity War happens. He loses that time coming back from Endgame. He he his kid has gone from like nine to 14, 15. And having a kid myself. Those so, like those are completely different things, and it's in a, and in the span of a kid like kid lifespan, that is an eternity. They are completely different people from from nine to fourteen. So the idea, so in, that's one of the things that resonated with me in Endgame is like, man, that would suck to lose that time with my kid. So for Kang to suggest to him, I can get you that back. Don't you want that back? Even though I know I don't know what Kang wants in this movie. But I know whatever he wants is no good. Scott should have no part in that. But if I'm in Scott's position and you're offering me that, I'm like, I know you ain't no good, but that is a very enticing offer. So just that just that premise alone is enough to get me to resonate with me. Uh I'm uh, I, I want to see how it pulls at everybody else, but I think that's an interesting way to go. And I think it kind of plays off of everything that came before it in phase four and what phase four. Has been about for a lot of different reasons,
0: and this is where you yield to me, because um, that's that's been my whole thing. Um, the The way that Phase Four is criticized is wrong. It is criticized because there's a lot of big swings. Not all the swings work. There's not a coherent, overarching story. Like there's not one big bad guy that leads to the end. They had to basically pull Loki back in from Thor and do a post credit tag to Thor. To create an Avengers villain, right? Like there wasn't really a guiding force there. Here's the thing: Black uh Black Widow is about Natasha mourning the loss of her time with her sisters and leaving them behind and the 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 problems that she has with her past and mourning mourning that and wanting to fix that and correct that mistake. Um uh WandaVision is about. What else? It's about Natasha deal or uh, with Wanda dealing with the grief of losing vision and having to physically kill him at the end of Infinity War and then watch him die a second time. And then creating this, fa- be driven so far into grief that she grief bombs a town and falls into a fantasy life because she doesn't want to deal with what reality is because she hasn't accepted her grief. Uh, she's in the acceptance part of her grief yet. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is about the mourning of the passing of what Captain America is in the mantle of Captain America and what makes you know patriotism, patriotism, and, and what makes America great, so to speak, and how that can can be different for different people. Uh, so it's it's about that in that way. Loki is about the loss of time. Um Loki is that Loki is taken out of the timeline. And you have that entire first sequence in the premiere episode where he's watching the events that unfold that lead to his death, <laughs> which is a bit, one of the darkest scenes in the history of Marvel Studios. But it's but it's him watching and, and learning and figuring out that grieving the fact that he'll never be able to live that out and have that time with his brother and all of those things. And uh, so Hawkeye is about the loss of um, his past. mourning that he went into this phase of grief and he, he he did all these murders and committed all these bad acts as Ronin and he wants to atone for that by completely erasing the last remnants of the Ronin persona, but that ties him up with Kate Bishop who has got this idealistic notion of heroism and he's just trying to dispel that from her, but she is such a positive force for good that he br- she brings him out of his grief and mourning for Natasha and for uh, his time is run- atoning for his sins as Ronan and gives him an opportunity to redeem himself. Um, Eternals is about the loss of innocence. Um, they become they are in the beginning uh, have plausible deniability. They don't know what Amish's plan is. They don't realize that they have basically been Earth destroyers for their entire existence. They don't realize that they're here as to put on a mission to destroy the earth and bring another sentinel to life. They have they have no idea of these things. And Icarus, when that information is revealed, and Icarus knows that once it's revealed, it will have an impact on these folks. He tries to stop it from becoming known, and so that leads him to killing the lead, killing Selma Hayek's character, and that leads him to mourning her death, but also mourning that him and Cersei can't be together because ultimately they are two different people who have two different mindsets and two different belief sets. And they, he sees humanity as the next mission. She sees humanity as hope. And so it's about Icarus at the very end of that movie, grieving that this can't be a thing and grieving the fact that he couldn't complete his mission. And so sending himself into the sun as basically a personal punishment for not following through with the plan because he was moved by passion and love and 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 kindness to at least allow Cersei to fulfill her plan or at least not stop her. Um and then uh you know in Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness is about yeah. Wanda coming to terms with her grief, understanding what she did in Westview was wrong, but aching for that to a way to create and make bring that fantasy to life, that great mirror of said moment where it's like there's this veil and i that's separating me and my children and i want to take away that veil so i can be with them again but the only way i can do that is through the dark hold so i'm going to do everything in my power to get a hold of the dark hold so that i may take this veil of separation between life and death away and have what i what i so desperately crave and then understanding and being revealed to her through america chavez at the end what the what what ravages of her soul had uh, had happened as a result of trying to get to that veil to be lifted um you know what does it venture a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul and she saw in the children in interact the fear in her children's eyes of her and that removed any doubt about what she was doing was right and she evaporates herself and destroys the dark hold to prevent anyone else from ever attaining it the uh, thor the dark world or thor thor love and thunder is about Life and death and grief. Like the whole entire motivation for Gore the God Butcher is literally I lost my daughter. I beg- I was losing my daughter. I begged God. I begged the God personally to his face that I had been worshiping. I begged him to help me save my daughter because I had been such a good zealot for him and that I deserved for him to do this miracle for me. And he denied me and laughed in my face. And so now, not only is he, but all uh, gods are evil and must be destroyed because they are set, rabid. They, they do not care about us. They do not care about our souls. They do not care about our children. They just want death and destruction. And so at the same time, Gore is going through that emotional grief journey. Thor is going through his own grief, his own journey with Jane Foster, who is dealing with her impending death and the knowledge that she has cancer and that she's going to die. And dealing with mending that relationship growing that relationship and coming to terms with okay I have the power I could save you but I'd rather spend my last moments with you and just acknowledge that we had this time together rather than try to save you and that compassion causing gore to reevaluate his situation um in a way that that he hadn't thought of before so that you know that's the word love and thunder and then um no way home is about, Making the choice, right? Making the choice to let everybody forget, and also about mourning, uh, Aunt May, and how how he de- he's dealing and reconciling with that grief, and uh, and then Black Panther: Wakanda Forever is literally uh about you know mourning the death of a Black of Chazwick Boseman, mourning the death of T'Challa, and how we reconcile what we our earthly powers limit us to. Because is very much about guilt-ridden because she feels she should have been able to save him. And she wasn't, and she takes that personally. And she has to come around to a journey from anger at the fact she wasn't able to, able to save him, angry at the gods for not giving her the ability to, and coming around to acceptance of the fact that Death and vengeance and and those kinds of things won't bring about the healing that her brother wanted or that he wants she wanted and then ultimately the revelation of the sun which brings about the hope for a different kind of redemption and so that's the entirety of phase four and that doesn't even include uh you know America the uh, Miss Marvel which is about you know coming of age and and what it means to be a Muslim and that kind of a thing. It it doesn't include, um, uh, you know, several of the other TV shows, the uh, the What If season two, the What If series, but like the point is that especially in the films, grief, death, and loss have been a a big factor, and that sets the table for Ant Man and the Lost Quantum Mania because Kang has a timeshare. Kang's time chair is not working. Kang's time chair is the thing that allows him. To transport through timelines and through reality, my assumption is, and we've known that trailers for Marvel movies throw things off. But my assumption for the trailer it, from the trailer is, and from some of Thuy's quotes in Empire, is that either Janet Van Dyne built the time chair, or she helped she disabled the time chair with the th- and hid the artifacts he would need in order to make it work again. And now he has Scott and he wants Scott to help him retrieve the thing that Janet hid from him so he can have his timeshare working again. And his his deal, his lure for for Scott, as you said, is you've missed all this time with your daughter. I can give you that back. And and so to a grieving man, what is the the one thing that you need? What is the one thing that you crave? As I said earlier, the one thing for Wanda was lifting that veil between her and her children like yeah they may have been her own creation but in other realities they're real what if i could you know lift that veil and instead of just looking through a mirror dimly at a reflection or a vision that i can't touch feel or or hold what if i could actually hold and have it and in and, and live it and so for it'll be the same motivation for scott if i can if this man is offering me the opportunity to go back in time and have a child, have a father-daughter relationship with my daughter, and, and raise her the way I want to. And all I have to do is go do this one last job. And you know that's a powerful motivator, and it's a powerful way to bring everything around. Because if he's successful, and if he operates that has the time chair to operate and open, then guess what? You have, as the trailers have been teasing, a new dynasty. Hint, hint. Because now Kang can actually go about. Alternating timelines and destroying timelines and destroying futures and all the things that we know Kang can do. So um, that's my long rambling, uh, you know, dissertation on that. But like, I feel like everything in Phase Four was leading up to Quantum Mania, which is going to kick off the true road to Kang Dynasty. And I don't think you can get to Ant Man in the Walls Quantum Mania without any part of Phase Four. Right.
1: And um, you said a lot there, but yeah, I. I... I agree. I to go along with the emotional um, story themes that you were talking about. I won't go back through all those. I do agree with pretty much all of that. The the sum of Phase Four is about uh, you know dealing with grief and these various emotional things. I you mentioned that you know Marvel took big wings in Phase Four, and for years people have been saying Marvel needed to do different things and take chances and whatnot. So. And I, and also with that, you can't, like I said before, you can't run hot the whole time. Coming from um, the the two years of Infinity War, you know, Infinity War, Ant-Man, Endgame, Spider-Man, you you can't just keep running hot just like that. You've got to come down. And they decided to come down and do some new things, try some new things, bring in some new characters that are very different. Uh, and, and and put that all in this phase. It's like a feeling. It was like a feeling out, but also meant to bring you back down to re, to level set to to reset your levels. You can't keep it at end game high. You've got to establish um, your baseline. And I think the baseline of phase four established is a baseline that's higher than like say phase one or phase two. But people still have this expectation of in game that they're kind of judging it against that. Which, that's not what it's for. You've had a... Ho- Which, I mean, Kang
0: Dynasty is going to be that. Like, if if you just look at the available gas that's going to be on the board and the kind of things that you're going to be doing and talking about, especially with... And it's going to be raised even more with Secret Wars. But, like, definitely Kang Dynasty is going to be an in-game level event. But you don't get there without setting the table because the entire, like, the entire table setting motion, the thing that's going to kick off the 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 ability for Kang to get back, get into this reality is going to be Scott Lang. Whether Scott Lang lives or dies, I'm pretty sure he's going to live, but he's going to be the reason why Kang comes into this, this realm, and that's going to kickstart everything. And the motivation for him to help Kang in the first place is born out of this story that you've been telling for two years across six movies and 12 TV shows. Yeah,
1: yeah the Quantum Manium is going to be like it it should be another event level thing. But you yeah, you can't do this. You can't go straight to this if you don't have everything in Facebook to get here. Yeah. And I I think once people see this movie, I think they'll kind of get that. Um, but there are gonna be those people that are, are still going to, you know, criticize Marvel for whatever reason they want. But
0: do you think do you think Feige's frustrated that more people didn't get the hint from Loki? Because like, uh, Jonathan Major spells it out very plainly for you in very clear language at the end of Loki season one. This is who I am. These are This is where I come from. These are my variants. These are the two options that you and Loki have. You know, kill me and destabilize the timelines or take over my job and, and maintain them. But either way, something is going to happen. I, I feel like I feel like if I were fighting them, I'd just be frustrated that like, Dudes, we this can't be a surprise for you. We laid it out
1: for you. Yeah, I think it, if you were to ask him, I think his reaction probably would be if people watch Loki and are still confused, I think that would frustrate him to no end. I think if you haven't seen Loki, then that's uh, I think that's to be expected. And I think that's that should be something they expected going in. Everybody's not going to watch the Disney Plus shows. Even though once Loki came out, Loki was around, you know, it was still the third one when everybody kind of universally liked him. But they're still not the movie. So there's still people that aren't don't have Disney Plus and aren't going to get Disney Plus. So there's probably still a very large contingent that have never seen Loki. Those people, I think, you know, once they go to the movies, they'll kind of understand the, the movie will explain what they need to know. But if you watch Loki and you didn't understand, because you could say they didn't. They don't spell out a lot of things in these shows or movies. But you're right. And Loki, he explicitly says, "This is who he. He just he doesn't say his name is Kang, but he says he says well, he, he says name
0: I've been called. I've been called many names, and right. one of them is Kang the Conqueror.
1: Does he say Kang? He does say I, Kang. I think he, he I just says, he says it's one of the
0: names. Yeah it, yeah, it says he says it's one of the names that I've been called across the across the timelines."
1: But either way, he 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 gives he gives the mission statement of what's going to happen from here on out. This is it might not be exactly me, but it's going to be a dude that's like me that's going to show up and he's going to do all this stuff. And it's going to be because they did this. So this is what's going to happen. So here, audience, you know what is coming. I'm telling you exactly what's coming. So if you watch the show and you don't understand it. Yes, I would be frustrated because. There's no reason to not understand. He said it. He said it.
0: Indeed. No smoke mirrors. He just said it. He, he did indeed. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how Loki season two plays into all of this as well, uh, because Kang will be a very big factor in that, as Kang is a very big part of that that universe that he is now in at the end of Loki. So
1: yeah, I've already seen the rumors that, that are saying that uh, we might get several different versions of uh, Kang and Loki.
0: Which would be a good way to prepare people for Kang Dynasty, um, where I think the same would be, would be in play. Um, by the way, how much longer before we start casting Fantastic Four? Doesn't that have to start shooting in like September? Come out in 2024, right? Yes. I believe it's February of 24, which is why I was like, they may have bumped it to
1: November. I think November is what I remember.
0: November 2020. That's right, because it's just that it barely squeezes into 2024. Because yeah, your big thing was always four and twenty-four.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Uh let's see. Did you actually put did you actually pull it up? Why can't I find it?
0: Well, I mean,
1: they moved Deadpool around, right? They did. Um they well, maybe Fantastic Four is coming out in 2025. Let me see. I'm trying to because they yeah, they did kick stuff back and I think Deadpool Deadpool's in twenty-six is in September. Um uh, so that might have moved Fantastic Four back. Yes, it is moved back to 2025. So we got two years from right now. But even but even with that, you would be correct in that they would probably start shooting it. I mean, they have you know the whole track record of a year out, but I think they've been doing more. So I think they will still start shooting it sometime this year. So we should we should get casting announcement. Um July if they're going somewhere to- around Comic Con. I mean, if they can hold it to Comic Con, if they're starting to shoot in November, I don't think they can hold it all the way to July, but it will probably be after, definitely after Ant Man comes out. Probably. So if, either you do it in April, right before Guardians comes out, or you try to hold it till Comic Con.
0: Indeed. So, Chad, DC, uh, Warner Brothers, Discovery, uh played some games with the Looney Tunes folks over the course of the last mm-hmm. few weeks. Um, your thoughts are on routine maintenance and lo- Looney Tunes.
1: Routine maintenance is a good thing. Uh, announcing that you're doing routine maintenance is also a good thing. Letting it leak that you're taking off a substantial portion of your Looney Tunes catalog, which I don't think is extensive enough, the catalog that's there. Uh, but you're going to take away a substantial portion of that and don't give a reason why. And then we have to scour the internet and find out. That is for uh, maintenance is not a good thing. Um, however, if this was a different company, people would give you the benefit of the doubt. Warner Brothers has no benefit of the doubt because they have a track record since uh, this merger happened of canceling and removing and uh, just completely taking away all access to some of their content. This would have been to when I heard it, uh, it didn't make sense because you know they've said. Uh, looney tunes is like a flagship brand for them and it should be and it can be but taking off uh, but i think the the bake the the backbone of that brand are the looney tunes shorts the classic shorts so removing them off of your platform was a a horrible i thought it would have been a horrible decision but it turned out to be maintenance i actually meant to check today to see if they put them back up but i I haven't um but, yeah, it, it just made us call into the question decision-makers, Warner Brothers, and, and that's where we're at. Every time they make a move, it's going to be questioned, and they've put themselves in this position, so I, I got nothing for them. What did you make of Velma? <laughs> uh, So, I only watched it after I saw enough people bashing it online. Um, Overall, I'm going to finish watching it because I'm a sucker, and if you have a mystery that's, like, even... Halfway compelling, I will sit there and watch it. But I do think uh, the the show is only concerned about so far is only concerned about Velma and Daphne and doing things with them. Uh, How the second episode ends is you know things that people have thought about for a while with those characters. So I'm not surprised. But like I don't know who this show is for. It's it's an it's an adult oriented. Take on Scooby Doo characters, which could be fine, but it tends to it it lean it tends to lean mean. Like it does a lot of gross out stuff, and that's normally not my cup of tea. However, Harlequin does similar things, and I'm fine with that. But this just seems like like the spirit of it seems kind of mean. Like Velma is you could have done a lot of the things they're doing with Velma without her feeling like. She doesn't like herself. It does feel like she doesn't like herself. Uh, it does feel like Daphne is just mean for the sake of being mean. And they've made they've made Fred the way he is just to be mean. the The best the best person out of the bunch seems to be what was who was Shaggy now known by his last name is Norville. Uh, but they tend to make him just be a little bit too sad just for the sake of being mean. So the show just seems like it has a, a mean spirit to it that, that doesn't sit well with
0: it. which Which, you know, I understand. And it's a different take on the characters and all the different things. So I just, I don't know how you can make, how you go about making decisions on what to get write-offs on and what not to. And and it's just, it's a whole mess. I mean, they're talking about selling off the the soundtrack catalog, like Warner Brothers Towers right, uh, yeah. records. Yeah. Like they're, they're talking about, mining that for potential revenue like this is like i know corporate corporate takeovers happen lord knows we're following one very closely now that may or not have may or may not be considered a hostile takeover um but i mean this just seems weird that you're that you're looking to mine profit any way you can it, it screams very much like marvel in the late the, the early 90s where it's just like Let's sell up all of our rights just so we can have enough money to keep our comic book operation afloat. It's it's just a very weird dynamic.
1: Let's see, in like in the case of Marvel, they weren't doing it out of like any other thing except to stay afloat. They were going to collapse if they didn't sell those film rights assets. Uh, so they did it out of company necessity. This one, they're doing this out of just saving a buck. That's what this is all about. Um, like. The more it goes, the more people really think like they're they're trying to lean it up and make it solvent and make their make what they can work. So in two or three more years, they can sell it again. And I mean that seems to be the thing, and that's very disappointing. But I mean that might be WB's lot in life that they're eternally sold again and again and again. Hopefully this time they can uh, at least get one thing right hopefully they get can get dc on the right footing before they go and eventually sell it again and maybe the next person will come along and they can save something else before they sell it again i don't know it's it's really disappointing to think of it that way but that's kind of what we are with dc
0: so chad speaking of films that are lacking an audience films that no one asked for and no one really needs in their existence we got word This past week that the legendary conservative Christian Jim Caviezel has begun filming on The Passion of the Christ 2. Something that has been rumored for years, going all the way back to when Mel Gibson was talking about doing a sequel. Your thoughts, sir, on the sequel to The Passion and who this movie is
1: for? (laughs) I mean, who is it for? Uh, I mean, how much money did the first one make? Like, it, It made like Goo Gob's money, right?
0: Yeah, like $800 million back then. It was it was some kind of absurd number. It was so it's the it's the God's not dead crowd. That's that's where you're drawing your money
1: from. But see, I I so I think that's the core audience. I think that's the ones you can count on. But I think you don't make that much money with just the God is not dead audience. I think it's like Easter service in church. Everybody comes back for that one. Because why? Because it's Easter and Christmas, those are your big event times, and you can get everybody back in. So you make this big budget Jesus movie. You want the, you get the Jesus is not dead crowd and you get those people that go to church on Easter. Uh, the problem as I see it, the, the passion of the Christ is an actual Easter movie. This, um, uh, I mean, I guess it's going to deal with what happens once he was resurrected, but I mean, it's, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same connotation within the church that I think will get those people out. Um, yeah, I, it's i.
0: It made three hundred seventy. It made three hundred seventy million dollars domestic. It made two forty one worldwide for a total of six eleven. That's, I mean, for what
1: was that like? How long ago was that? Two thousand four. I mean, that's that's good money back then. So
0: yeah, it, it, it was an event thing. Like it was a thing. You right. it, like it was a thing. Entire churches were running out. Entire theaters. Like it, it was a thing. Okay, so so here's yeah. my deal. Here's my deal. Right. Um that whole movie hinges on torture porn that the entirety of the passion of the christ the film not not the play not the the story in the bible itself not 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 any of that but the mel gibson directed movie is is a, it hinges on torture porn it is come see your lord and savior die for your sins and i'm going to make it as violent and as messy and as uncomfortable as I can possibly make it and you are going to watch and you are going to be moved and you are going to be pricked in the heart and it is going to change your life. That's the whole thing of that first movie. Like in all reality, based on all the medical data and information that we have now, it was probably not even as close to as bad as it really was. But given the context of, you know, brutality and violence on film, like it was a, it was pretty up there in terms of like, there was, Talk at one point about giving the uh, the film an NC seventeen rating for how violent the flogging was, and that's that's Gibson and that's Gibson's wheelhouse, and that's what he does. See Hacksaw Ridge, see Braveheart, like that blood is his thing. No pun intended, but like that whole movie hinges on that. The basis that you have biblically to go do a sequel, not a prequel, because Caviezel and whoever is going to produce the film didn't have a desire to go to another Jesus movie where you just deal with his ministry and his his time on Earth. They wanted to deal with the res the 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 post the post uh, passion period. The problem that you have with that particular point is that in the Bible there are only two passages that really talk about that post period. One is a a list of people who a list of people who saw in or were in the presence of Christ after the resurrection. It starts with Mary and Martha and it goes all the way uh, you know all the way to the end of the road Damascus. That's that's how that happens. The second is a small verse and I believe it's in Matthew but it's a small verse that basically talks about Christ walking the earth for 40 days and 40 nights before the ascension. And that small verse isn't specific about what happens in those 40 days. It's not specific about whether the dead stay the dead were right the dead did right with the the dead rose on the day of the resurrection so did the dead stay around for another 40 days like it's a very vague very small passage and you can do things with that but the problem is that little small piece of scripture you're interpreting it and there's gonna like there's no interpretation of the passion besides what is actually there. Like, the events, like, the the the, the set pieces write themselves because they're built into the story. When you start taking this small little verse and making a two-hour movie out of it, if somebody doesn't agree with the way that you're interpreting that scripture or what might or might not have happened in those 40 days, you're going to cause an uproar. And not the kind of uproar that boosts your ticket sales. So, like... I don't really know who this is for. I don't know what he's going to get out of it. I don't know. Like, I don't really know what the difference is between this and God's doing something like this and doing something like God's not dead or, uh, 10 minutes, 20 minutes in heaven or any of the other faith-based movies, fireproof or any of the other faith-based movies we've had over the last 20 years. It's to move a certain audience. But if you want to be as successful as the first movie, and make money, which is the whole point of making an endeavor like this. Otherwise, you just go the the Kirk Cameron route and release your stuff on DVD. Like, if you're get like if that's your point is making art and also making money, you're gonna have to come with a hook. And I don't really see what the hook is gonna be for people that are outside of that that box.
1: Yeah, I I think the I think what they're counting on the hook being is the name, passion, of the Christ too. People remembering how they felt about the first one. And it was, you know.
0: Well then well then before. let's just go ma- let's just instead of doing the Ten Commandments, let's just do Moses releases the Israelites part two. Like, cause you have the, the, the Ten Commandments film that B. DeMille made ends with Moses dying and turning everything over to Joshua, which is the next book. So, you know, why not just do the Ten Commandments to the Return of Joshua? I mean, like, you know, Noah, part three. You know, it's
1: just not great. <laughs> that is, I, I think the uh, I think the difference is why they don't is you know that the Ten Commandments, it, while it was a staple for me growing up, it was always on TV. Uh, you know, it's an older film, and they have nineteen fifty four. You know, I don't want to say you know stigmas against older films, but you know, kind of people of certain ages don't really mess with older films. Whereas this was made in our almost 20 years ago so most people so like if you have people like us uh we're in our late 30s early 40s we were in our 20s when this came out we vividly remember when this came out uh the people the older people ahead of us that are still around you know that they're they're solidly in that guy's not dead block you can get them you can get those people that were younger like us that remember the the name remember the uproar over the movie of like well what are they going to do with this? they're coming on that attraction to get people in there whereas if you say you know we're gonna do the ten commandments too, or whatever you want to call it one want people to know everybody involved they're not there anymore they're most they're of those dead. people are dead yeah <laughs> they're, they're all dead. dead if they're not dead they can't play these parts anymore so we know we're not doing that we're doing a whole new thing so i don't know it, it just it, it it will feel different and then therefore people won't do it but we're dealing with something that they know and that name and I don't know. I it, it feels like in just in the general zeitgeist of things, you know, Moses has lost a little luster, whereas Jesus is always Jesus. So, I, I mean, I, I you know, I don't want to say it like that, but I mean, that's kind of what it is. What I mean, I just we, I don't we, know. I
0: mean, I, I guess I just come at it from the place where I'm old enough to remember Aramnasky making a Noah film with Russell Crowe that involved rock monsters and everybody throwing up their arms and getting pitchforks and torches out and no one going to see the film, even though it was a fairly accurate depiction of what the flood of the, of, of the earth probably was like, so like I've seen these kind of films with hooks still fail. So I just like, I don't necessarily, the hinge in that first film was torture and I don't, there's not torture in a resurrection story.
1: Oh, you can't. So you can't
0: I, even kill. You can't even kill Judas. Judas already died in the first one.
1: Right. I mean, so I. I don't want to say this, especially considering you know how we opened the show talking about it. But I mean, I know this movie has a hook, but I think. I, I think it's going to fail. But you know, I thought the Blue People movie was going to fail too, and we saw how that worked. So don't take my word for it. But I, I think it'll do. I think people will be curious about it, but I don't think people are going to want to go to the theater to see it because they don't know what they're going to get uh, unless the trailer comes out and like, man, we've somehow found a way to beat Jesus aboard. more. I don't know. And, and people are intrigued by that. But I, I we'll see how I don't think the name Passion of the Christ 2 is going to carry this like Avatar did with everybody else.
0: And with that we will end our podcast comparing, <laughs> comparing the Passion of the Christ to Avatar the Way of the Water. <laughs> um, okay, wait
1: grant please do not clip this part out and put it on the internet i do not need jesus people coming for me for anything i just said
0: all right that'll about do it for this week's podcast If you want to keep up with this podcast and all of our jesus loving team, you can follow (laughs) us on twitter i am at bcw tiger fan
1: and i'm at the mystery
0: thank you very much and all hail mark sanchez oh boy the old man is really stupid